people really were different back in the 60s. Here's something that it is impossible to imagine any politician saying today, any successful mainstream big-time politician anyway. Listen to the President of the United States, June 4th, 1965. Perhaps most important is the breakdown of the Negro family structure. For this, most of all, white America must accept responsibility. It flows from centuries of oppression and persecution of the Negro man. In 1965, black single mothers became a national political issue, a national symbol, for the very first time, and it was the Democrats who put the issue on the table. A young assistant secretary of labor named Daniel Patrick Moynihan submitted a report to President Lyndon Johnson calling for national action to do something about the large number of black single mothers. When large numbers of men grow up in homes without strong male authority, the report said, it leads to chaos, crime, violence, and unrest. Black single mothers, the report declared, were at the center of, quote, a tangle of pathology in the black community. Black leaders, including the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., did not take too kindly to all this. They said that all this talk of black pathology had unfortunate racist overtones, and the issue dropped from the national scene for years. Then the Republicans picked it up. Ronald Reagan talked about welfare queens. Dan Quayle said the L.A. riots happened mainly because of a breakdown in traditional family structure. For two decades, the entire national debate over welfare reform has often seemed like it's really just a referendum on inner-city single mothers. Which brings us to Barbara Clinkscales. We gave Barbara Clinkscales a cassette recorder, and for seven months, she taped her family's life. And the story we bring you today, her life in her own words, it isn't that it completely contradicts everything in the national debate over single mothers. Though sometimes it does contradict that debate. It's more that when you hear her talk, the national policy discussion somehow seems irrelevant and off the point. It's as if the policymakers have no real picture of what a life like hers is really like. Today we devote our entire program to her story. From WBEZ Chicago and Public Radio International, it's This American Life. I'm Ira Glass. Like most African-American single mothers, like 77% of them, Barbara Klingscales works for a living. She has a job in the new information economy as a data entry operator. And she's so committed to seeing that her kids graduate high school that when her son Gerald cut some classes, she started escorting him to class herself, telling his classmates, My name is Barbara. I think we'll be seeing a lot of each other from now on. Before we start her story, some quick statistics to put all this in perspective. Barbara's family is not unusual at all. There has been a radical shift in American family structure. The number of children born to black single mothers has risen from 17% in 1950 to 70%, 70 in 1994. The number of white children born to single mothers has risen even faster, from 1.7% in 1950 to 25% in 1994. Here, then, is the story of one single mother, told in her own words. Okay. Hi. I know we late. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's my fault this time. Let me introduce myself. 
My name is Barbara. Hi, baby. Good morning. I'm a single mom. I have three kids, Angie, Tess, and Jura. Good morning. Good morning. Angie's 25. Tess and Gerald are 17. They are twins. They're in high school in the 11th grade. Hi, my name is Barbara Klinska. Everybody know me. I know, I know that name from somewhere, Klinska. Yeah, I always bring him to school. Oh, okay. Maybe. And I stand here while he go up to his lock and he come back. Every morning I take Gerald to school. If I don't take him to school, he'll get up, get dressed, and he'll just sit there. He won't go. In order to take him to school, I have to go a half hour out my way in the opposite direction of my workplace. Then after I leave his school, it takes me another 50 minutes to an hour back past my house before I get to work. All together, it takes me an hour and a half to two hours to get to work in the morning. But I'm sorry, Mr. Maybaugh. It's okay. I'm going to get right out here. Last week, almost every afternoon, I'm going to go get my book. He did not come to my afternoon classes. Let me go get my book. Okay. Where were you? Where were you? You stayed in school, but you just didn't go to his class. That doesn't sound like it makes any sense, does it, Gerald? Where did you go if you stayed in school? The twins don't go to school in the neighborhood we live in. I had to borrow my co-worker's address to get them into Bogan High School because I feel Bogan High School is a real good school. They really care about the kids and they work with you. Like Gerald's teacher, Mr. Maybaum, he cared about Gerald as if Gerald was his own child. Where are you even going? Come on, you must have tell us. No big dark secret, is it? Where are you even going? Where did you go last week? Gerald, are those hickeys on your neck? No. Yes, they are. What a... Turn around. You see that, Mr. Maybell? That's what he's probably doing. Uh-huh. Those are the love passion mark hickeys. Could be. Could be. If I hit you upside your head, you'll no, know what they are. Right now, all I can focus on is the twins and getting them through high school. Get them through high school. And we're walking down to the end of the school to the counselor's office, Mr. Ware, where you have to reinstate Gerald because of those two cuts. When I talk to them about graduating, I also tell them when they walk across that stage, I'm going to do a cartwheel. And my best girlfriend, she says she's going to do a split. <laughs> and the twins look at us and laugh, and they say, like, they're going to, they want to see this. I said, well, I better start practicing, because I know you guys going to walk across that stage. Okay, what I was doing, that moment of silence, I was writing my name in the time, signing in on the sign-in sheet in room 102. I'm sitting here next to Gerald waiting. I always dreamed about going on prom, all the senior activities that the seniors do when they graduate from high school, and they get a chance to go on a prom. Because when I was graduating from high school, I had my own apartment. And I've been out on my own ever since I was 16 years old. So I had to play grown-up. So I, I can live some of my dreams through them. That's why I feel the way that I feel. That nothing is going to get in my way. No, nothing. 
You really think you're smart, yo, don't you? You really think you're getting away with something, don't you? Do you think I'm going to give up? Huh? Do you think I'm going to give up? Gerald, I'm talking to you. I'm going to kill you, Gerald. And sit up in jail. Before I let you be out there on them streets, no education, a dummy, trying to deal drugs to have some money, I will take your life and sit up in jail gladly. Because I'm not going to live day to day knowing my only son is a failure. All right. playing his music. I'm standing here just holding the mic. You know, I have a portable bar because I like to collect pretty glasses. And, um, and that's just how the music is vibrating through the floor. Really, noise don't bother me. When you grow up in the projects, noise just don't bother you. You can live with it. My apartment is real big. I have three bedrooms, living room, dining room, a nice long hallway. And I'm walking into Gerald's room now. And, and you get, why? I can't come in here? What? They can't see you. Well, they can't see. But it's going to be on the radio, though. Well, you should keep it clean if you don't want nobody to know your room is dirty. People will be hearing that. Yes. Everything we talk about for now, your whole life gonna be on the radio. People gonna know how you don't want to go to school, how your mama have to take you to school every day, watch you go in your classroom. So I'm in my living room now. I'm having company tomorrow, so we gonna clean up tonight. And I can't wait to Tess to come home because I worry about her being out at night. But I can't stop her from doing the things that she want to do. But I really don't have no peace until she walked through that door. And then I feel better. Okay, I guess I'll start cooking them tacos. I promised that I'd cook tacos for dinner. Oh, God, did you just hear that? That shooting. Oh, God, don't let that be Tess. Oh, God, I hope Tess is not outside. Gerald, get away from the windows. Gerald, just come in the hall. Come in the hallway, Gerald. Get Gerald, where are you at? Oh, God, I hope Tess is not out there. Crime and drugs is everywhere, but I know my, my block is the, the crack block. Just wait, Gerald. Wait till the shooting starts. I always lived in the area, but I moved right on the worst block, like I just moved smack dab in the middle of hell. Pick up hell, and you put me right in the middle. That's my block. Jerry, is that the police or ambulance? You see anything? No. Oh, God. Sound like somebody coming up the steps? That's probably Who is it? 
Oh, God, it's Tess. And they just got through shooting, so that means she had to be getting off the bus on 79th Street. Tess, did you hear the shooting? When? They were just finished shooting. For what? They was outside just shooting. I ain't here. Father, thank you again. She was praying, Father? Yeah, I was praying. <laughs> they were just shooting. You could have got caught up in that. Where you just coming from? Library. Come up close. I can't hear you. Hey. Doing that army search on Thurgood Marshall for my own English class. Oh, okay. Tess and Gerald are twins, but they are totally opposite. Like night and day, sweet and sour. Tess is the dominant twin. She knows what she wanted and what she had to do to get it. Tess was on the cheerleaders. She was on the swim team. She worked at Seaway Bank. I never, never had to take Tess to school. What time you got to go to work? I got to be at work at 10, 9 o'clock. I don't have to wake you up? No. So you get up on your own? Give me a Tess, man, at 9 o'clock. I saw one. Okay, her name is Tess. <laughs> And they call her Taz. So she loves Tasmania. Anything with Tasmania. If you come over and you see her room, she has Tasmania posters, Tasmania blankets, pillows, clothes. Underwear, socks, <laughs> pictures. Tess has so many of my ways. She eat like me, she think like me, she dress like me, and these are things that just come natural. Not things that I teach her, she just, they just come natural. This for me? Yeah. No, wait till you eat. What about your diet? Forget my dad. Everybody like me the way I am. Oh, Lord. At first she was all depressed. She said her arms was too fat. Some, it still is, because I still want to get my arms up. Some boy don't told her that she looked good, so she don't care about she want liposuction. What you call that? My arm sucks. I don't know what it's called. I think it's called a liposuction, but I want to. I just want to get my arm sucked. Okay. Go turn that skillet off. I'll go. I'll go and cook the tacos. People always ask me, do I have pics with my kids who I like the most? And people always tell me, I know you're proud of Tess. I know that's your pick. But you know, Tess is not my pick. I don't have a pick. Angie's not my pick. Gerald is not my pick. I love my kids the same. They're all special in their own way. Angie, I had Angie at 15. And I was a baby having a baby. I was 15. I didn't know nothing about raising kids. I knew nothing about life. But I was determined to stay in school and to graduate and to raise Angie. And it was just me and her against the world. And I did it. Even though she dropped out of school and had babies and everything. But she's still a good person. She's like my firstborn. And Gerald is mommy's man. That's my son. That's, that's all my life. I never had a father. I never had a brother. And so only time I ever loved a man was in a relationship. And when my son was born, that's that's a man who loves me unconditionally. And he his love is just cuz I'm his mama. It's not because he wants something from me. It's not because he wants sex or something. A man finally loved me for me, you know. And Tess 
she's a carbon copy of me. In other words, she's a young me. And you would think she's my pick, but she's not. The Hens are a group of ladies that's been friends since high school. We do all kind of stuff together. We laugh, we talk, we watch movies, we get in trouble. Okay, wait a minute, it spells out something. What do it spell? Never ending, everlasting, everlasting sisters. H-E-N-S. H-Hens. Some of the most fun we have is when we go away. We leave the kids, the husband, the job, we leave everybody. Rent a room and eat, laugh and talk and just don't do nothing. And our next big trip is to Jamaica. And we have been planning and paying for this trip since October of last year. And whenever the hands are sitting around talking about our trip to Jamaica, we end up talking about our fantasies and what we're going to do when we get there. Every hen has a different fantasy about Jamaica and what they want to do. My fantasy is on the beach, a big black piano with this man in a white jacket, and I named him Sam, playing the piano, playing like love songs. Y'all know that? And me leaning over it with a exotic um, drink, mm-hmm. and uh, me constantly saying, play it again, Sam. <laughs> When, when I go out with my girlfriends and I meet men and we go out, you know, especially on one of those hoochie mama nights. <laughs> well, hoochie mama can mean a lot of things. Uh, sometimes we'll call ourselves, yeah, we're going to be hoochie mamas tonight. That means we're going to dress sexy. Now, we don't overdo it. Just your little cleavage, your little legs, um, something with a split. And I go out and I meet men. They just love me. they just all over me. But they don't know that that's the evil twin. <laughs> My evil twin. Everybody know about my evil twin. When my coworkers find out about my evil twin, they laugh, you know, because they know Barbara, the hard worker, the mom, the grandmother. But every now and then, the evil twin will slip out at work. But when I go out, the men meet the evil twin. Me, the night we get to Jamaica, I'm going to get out on the balcony, and then I'm going to let all them Jamaican men know that I'm there, and I'm going to do the Xena yell. You do that Xena yell, and they run them away. No, baby, not that Xena yell, Barbara standing out on the balcony in that gown and my hair flowing in the wind. No, baby. But when they get to know me and they see that evil twin was just their personality for the moment that night, out partying, dancing, laughing. And then they get to know the serious me, the mom, the high worker, the grandmother. They get kind of turned off. And they constantly refer back to the night we met that personality. <laughs> What's yours, Tidy? Mine's is dirty. It ain't clean, huh? It ain't clean. I don't know. When I talk to them over on the phone after we have met and they call me up, and I try to have, you know, decent conversations with them, and they want to know, how do you make love? What's your favorite position? How often you like to make love? I'm like, that's not your business. You know, I'm like, um, do you have kids? <laughs> you know, I'll, where you work at? Um, are you religious? You know, I want to talk about these things. And, they, you know, they get turned off, you know. 
and don't want to talk anymore. Um, <laughs> Leah, what's your fantasy? When we go to Jamaica? Oh, just to make wild, passionate love. My girlfriend, uh, Peaches, she's going through the same thing I'm going through. And we said we have PhDs uh, in heartbreak. We can write a book on, no, that's not it, you know. And we just sit up and we laugh and we talk and we always tell each other, well, you know, one day we're going to be at each other's wedding. We're going to be standing up there looking at each other, walk down the aisle in love and happy. And so far every year, we sit up and talk about our PhDs and we add a new chapter to our book. It just doesn't seem to fail. I don't know. Oh no, mine's is too, too, too outrageous. Well, tell one of the nice things. I don't have nice things like that. I have great fantasies. Great fantasies. To walk on the beach. They cannot be told. <laughs>
Hello? Let's see to Marvin. How you doing? Marvin. I met Marvin through my Auntie Susie's boyfriend, Granty. Granty is from Jamaica, and he's been telling me about his nephew, Marvin, in Jamaica for a long, long time. He always told me that Marvin would be the perfect, perfect man for me, you know, but I never paid him any attention. And one Sunday morning, Granty called me around 7 o'clock in the morning saying he just got back from Jamaica and he had pictures and a phone number and his nephew wanted me to call him. And I laid in bed and I tried to go back to sleep, but I couldn't. I couldn't go back to sleep. That's your favorite picture of me? You have it with you? Okay. So I called him, and when That's I heard his I voice, I went into a trance. It's like I knew him all my life. This was the man for me. Yeah, I love that song. Oh, I used to cry over that song. <laughs> you do? Well, I got to play it. I want to see you cry. After talking to Marvin for about a week, he asked me to come to Jamaica, and I got real scared because talking to him on the phone is like a security blanket because we're on the phone, we're not in person. And, you know, I'm older than him. Marvin's, he's 28, and I'm 41. And, you know, being an older woman, you know, being full-figured. And what if I get there and he don't like me because I'm older, because I'm a full-figured woman? <laughs> you know, songs make you cry just like they make me cry. You know, when I tell him these things, he know how I feel, but, you know, he says it don't matter. He fell in love with my personality, the way I think, and the things that I believe in. He said it really don't matter. So it's time. It's, you know, I'm going to Jamaica. It's June 6th. I love you too, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Girl, get the keys. I forgot the flowers. What's that, girl? What are the flowers? The bag is on the microwave. That girl. What you gonna do? We getting ready to go see girl go on his girlfriend's prom. Keisha. Yeah. I never went to prom um, because I couldn't afford it. Really. I really couldn't afford it. Mama! What? Mama, don't hurt the bunny. Yeah, that dog gonna bite you. Now get in the car. You know, I always warned myself, my kids is gonna do the things that I didn't do. And when Angie didn't graduate from high school, it hurt me so bad. I'm like, oh God, my kids gonna follow in my footsteps. And then when I, and then I tested Gerald, and I made a pact with them, and I made a pact with God that they're gonna do this. They're gonna do it for me, and they're gonna do it for them. What's wrong, Gerald? You nervous? <laughs> Huh, girl? But I Look how you holding the flowers like they're little bitty baby. You nervous, girl? You not nervous? Because I told Tess, I said, you know, your prom dress going to be rent. Your shoes going to probably be the phone and light bill. We're not going to have any food that month. 
and we might have to live in a shelter <laughs> because I'm not paying no bills when it comes time for her to go to prom. <laughs> Lock the doors, put the locks on them. Angie and her friends are talking about crashing the prom. Take pictures of Gerald sitting at the Girl, table. Take like pictures that? of Gerald dancing on the floor. Take Mama, pictures of Gerald Mama, taking pictures. Pictures. <laughs> oh, we're so excited. We're you know Mama, it's not even his prom, but you know, we're gonna live our dreams through the twins. Okay, we're standing outside of Keisha's house. <laughs> Gerald's ringing the doorbell. Do you have your socks, Gerald? Gerald's gonna get dressed at her house. He, he don't have his tux on. I fantasize about Gerald being a man all the time. Being a father, working. I have these pictures in my mind, <laughs> what he's gonna look like when he's 30, you know. I don't I do this with Angie. I never did this with Tess. But I wonder all the time about Gerald, what he's going to be like when he's a man. Give her your tux and stuff, Gerald. Don't don't smash your flower. Give her your tux. Uh-oh. Pick the jacket up, Gerald. Come on now. Don't let it hit the ground. Gerald don't have a will like Tess do. Sometimes I think Tess took it all from him. But I know somewhere down the line, Gerald's gonna fool me. I know it. You know. She's coming in. Okay, now she can come down. Oh my goodness! Oh God, she's so pretty. Okay, come. On. Okay, okay, hold it, Gerald. Okay, how you gonna pose? Come on, come on, Gerald. Put your yeah like that. Okay, open your head. Yeah, you go. Oh, look at my baby. Oh, oh look at him. Oh, look at my baby. Oh. Oh. Hold again. Hold again, Gerald. Put your hold it like that. Let you open it. You know, relax, Gerald. Don't pass your hands. Relax. There you go. Wait, fix his jacket. Fix his jacket. Close your jacket in. Okay, there you go. Okay, now there you go. Relax. There you go, Gerald. Relax. Relax, okay? Yeah. <laughs> One day I'm gonna look up and Gerald's gonna outdo Tess. And I'm gonna go, hey, mommy's man. Look at you, boy. You go, boy. That's mommy's man. Hey. This is not happening to me. This is a movie. I'm dreaming. Somebody pinched me. Wake me up. This don't happen to me. No. I, I, I don't supposed to be at this moment. I shouldn't be this happy and this hip proud. <laughs> I know. One day he's gonna really fool me. I claim it in your name, God. In your name, Lord, I claim it. <laughs> okay. Oh. Oh, look I'm home. My girls came to pick me up from the airport, and I haven't woke up from this dream yet. So maybe it's not a dream. Uh, it's late. Let me look at the time. It's like 2 a.m. So I've been laying here for about an hour and a half, thinking about the last 11 days of my life in Jamaica with Marvin. Marvin Malcolm Craig.
He's 29 years old. Yes, and I'm 41. When I saw the movie, how Stella got her group back, I made my daughter Angie promise she wouldn't date over a certain age and I wouldn't date under a certain age because we would never bump heads to dating, you know. <laughs> and who breaks the promise? Me. You know, I can't believe my daughter will be 26 in November. In March, let's see, November, December, January, February, March. So he's a year and four months older than my daughter. No, two years, four months. Oh boy. Um, well, I don't care. On my way there, I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I was so scared. But soon I walked out of the airport. Oh, I went over there to him, and he just grabbed and hugged me. And that was the beginning of my new life. Oh my God, Barbara, what have you done? <laughs> He proposed to me and I said yes. He had one of his rings melted down and made it into an engagement ring and asked me to marry him. And he inscribed Love MC in the date that he proposed. Oh, God. I am so lucky, God, thank you. I know. I used to write letters to God, and I would put them in the Bible, praying for a man, because I was tired of the dating. And every time I write a letter, God would give me what I wanted, and I said, oh, Lord, I should have been more specific. You know, I left out something. I got to think about this. I got to think about this letter, okay? I don't want him to do drugs, okay? Um, drink to be sociable. And my coworker, Doris Kelly, she said, God want, God will give you what you want, so if you want him to look a certain way, write it down there. I'm like, oh, I can do that? She's like, yeah, it's okay, okay. I wrote down there what I want him to look like, you know. And I always would leave something out. And you know what I left out this time? I forgot to put down, God, please let him be in the same country. And God, can you let him be kind of close to my age? So ladies, when you write a letter to God, you can't leave anything out. And I always leave something out, but that's okay, Father. You know, I, I, I'm up for this challenge. There's so much, there's so much, oh God. And um, the hardest thing was Marvin, I was laying in the bed. And Marvin took it. I usually take my shower first. But Marvin took his shower first. And he said, come Barbara, come get in the shower. I did not want to do that. 
because I would not let him see me without my clothes on because I feel my body was so ugly, stretch marks, you know, from having kids, you know, being a four-figure woman. I know a little bit of a beautiful body, breasts sit up all perfect. And I sat there holding my stomach, holding my breath. And he called me, are you coming, Barbara? What's wrong, honey? Honey, what's wrong? I took a deep breath, and I'm dressing out in the shower. And he just took the towel and just soaked it up and me, and I stared at him. I kept trying to see his face, see his eyes. And all my fears and being insecure just went away. He took those fears away. Just keep asking myself, why me? And everyone like Barbara, why not? Why why not? Coming up, things take a turn for the worst. In a minute, from Public Radio International, when our program continues. American Life, I'm Ira Glass. Today we are devoting our entire program to one story. Barbara Klingscales is a single mother living in Chicago. Over the course of seven months, she recorded her family's life. In this half of the show, her story continues. Oh boy. I'm sitting in my bedroom on the end of my bed. I stayed at work till about 7, 7.30. I didn't want to come home. Just didn't want to deal with this problem. Deal with this. I was praying I didn't have to go through this. So I'm just sitting here. Thought I'd just pick the mic up and talk about it. Yeah, I called you early in. And we can talk about it. Tess called me and she had Keisha on the phone. Gerald's girlfriend. And... Did Tess tell me she's pregnant or did Keisha tell me she's pregnant? I think it was Tess said that Keisha was pregnant. I can't remember. I went into shock. I didn't say anything for about 10 minutes till Tess got scared and she kept saying, Mama, Mama. 
Mama, are you there? Uh, Mama, Mama, I just, I went in shock. I went into total shock. I felt sick and dizzy. And then I just started praying. And that's when I heard Tess say, Mama. How do this feel? I'm trying to sum it up in words. How do this feel? I want to cry. I want to scream. Oh, God. Last night, I went and picked Angel up from work. And on my way out the door, Gerald stopped me. And he was on the phone. And he said, Mama, I have a friend. And he's named after his dad. If he have a son, would his son be the second or the third? So I used Gerald as an example. I said, well, Gerald, you're a junior. Your dad is senior. He's Gerald Lewis Kling Scales, number one. You're number two. And if you had a child, your son would be Gerald Lewis Kling Scales, the third. And I just walked my happy-go-lucky butt on down the steps, went out the door, got in the car, and I started up the car, and some said, I hope that fool haven't got some girl pregnant, and he was talking about himself. Then I looked at the time, I'm like, oh Lord, it's 9.50, I better get out of here. And it left me. I haven't thought anything else about it until the phone call. so bad. My stomach hurts so bad. Oh my God. <laughs> oh Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I don't want to go through this. I'm, I just want to get them through one more year of high school. Get them across that stage, Father, please. to call him in here and talk to him and deal with this. Talk about this. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? Oh God, forgive me for this, but I don't want to deal with it. I want to act like it's not happening. Because I am so tired. I'm so tired of dealing with things. Okay, Barbara, take a deep breath. Blow it out. Call Gerald. And just say what the first thing comes to mind. Okay, I'm going to do this. Gerald! Get off that phone and come here. I'm ready to talk about it now. Tell them to call you back tomorrow. Or they may not, you may not receive any phone calls till you've grown. 21, and I'm not talking about 18. Have a seat. So why are your eyes red? You been crying? No. Why they red? Sinuses. Your sinuses. So I went over to Keisha house. She said she don't want this baby. She don't want to keep it. So how you feel about that? Uh, I feel kind of bad because uh, I don't believe in killing babies like that. 
You know, I should take care of my responsibility. That's it. No, that ain't it. I mean, how you gonna take care of your responsibility with a McDonald's job? You gotta go to summer school. You gonna probably have to go to night school next year to get you out on time. Oh, God, help me here, Lord. Give me strength. I can do this. If you don't understand how important school is, what do you know about being a father? I can read the book. I can get a book about it. I have to take you to high school, Gerald. I'm, I'm going every day. That's what I'm doing it for this time. Well, why did I have to take you? I was lazy back then. Want you to get an abortion? I'm not going to make that decision. I don't know. All I know is I'm not ready for you to have a baby. I wish this was a dream. I wish it never happened. I wish y'all was playing a joke on me. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to say that, but no, I don't want y'all to have a baby. You're not ready. She's not ready. Do you think you're going to be with her the rest of your life? Didn't I ask you to be a better man? Do not bring a child into this world that you was not able to love, raise, and marry his, the mother, and y'all raise this child together as a family? Didn't I ask you that? Don't make the same mistakes your dad made. Be a better man. That's what I'm trying to do. CD player on repeat and I play it over and over again. If I could, I would teach you all the things I've never learned. And I'd help you cross the bridges that I burned. I was at work and I called Gerald and I, I asked Gerald have you talked to Keisha? What's going on? Is she going to have an abortion? And she's, he told me no. She's going to keep the baby. And I just lay back in my chair at work. And I think I did it for at least 40 minutes. I just laid there. My son, Jero, he's going to be a father. Not someone else's son. My son, Jero. Okay, I failed. I just, my son is not ready. I can, I said, I can fight with him, getting him through school, getting Gerald um, to realize how important a career and education is. But now I gotta fight with him being a father and you know, and I know he knows nothing, nothing about being a father. 
Angie told me that they was out in JCPenney's and Gerald saw this little jacket and Gerald went, oh man, Angie, look, well, my little shorty look good in this jacket. And Angie said, mom, I couldn't do nothing but cry. She said, my brother's getting ready to have a baby. And I didn't think it was cute, my shorty. You know, he's all proud. I just don't want to go through this again. I just can't do it. I don't have the money. I don't have the strength. I don't want to have time. I'm tired. I am so tired because all my life, you know, it's been struggling to do this and do that. And I can't give up. But I don't want to give up on my kids. I don't want them to be like, they have a life like me. Hello? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah, my, my mom told me to record something. So, I'm, I'm kind of shy, you know, so I might not say it, you know, a lot of stuff. Uh, let's talk about me and Keisha. Uh, I had got her pregnant, I think before prom. And everybody was just mad, my mom was just mad. My parents, she got, they got mad too. They ain't want me to call the house no more. So, like that. So my mom came home, we talked about it. She told me what I think. I was like, I wanted to have it. But y'all know already, I ain't been going to school, so. Hey, block that out. Don't tell my mom. Block that out. I don't want the world to know when I'm going to school. But I changed, man. Since I got a kid on the way. I just need a job, that's what I need. But it's hard. They, they think I'm not trying. Moms don't think I'm not trying to stuff. Cause my girl, Keisha, she typed me up some resumes. Uh, she, so I went out there getting the resumes and they act like they bull. So I'm, I'm like, man, why I, I'm calling back like you checked over my application whenever. Like, yeah, I'll call you, I'll call you. I'll call you back next week. Here you, I'm waiting. Two weeks later, calling it back. So, it's, it's messed up for me right now. People act like they don't want to help nobody and stuff. Acting all shysty. It's hot in here, 90, almost 100 degrees. Hot, sweaty, talking on the microphone, stomach hurt. Feel like I'm about to throw up. Talk to you about my personal life. I'm really messed up. But I'm messed up now and I pay the price. But it's just messed up. It'd be different if I ain't had no kid on the way. But nah, it's just messed up for me.
today is my bridal shower. All the hands are coming. Uh, my family, my mom's coming. My aunt, her sister, their friends. Hey, Carolyn! Hey, girl! Disney <laughs> My nieces, my daughter's friends are coming to my bridal shower. And Rambo. Rambo is the stripper. He's coming all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. And he comes out in this expensive Armani suit, walking around, eyeballing the women's and talking business to them. So everybody, we've been practicing Rambo, Rambo, Rambo. Then we're going to do the Xena, yeah. So this is Jerry Bello, and I invited Jerry today to, to pray over this to pray for my sister to be happy with her new husband. So that's why I invited Jerry here today. Now I'm going to turn it over to Jerry Bella. God bless everybody here. Well, I give honor to God today and to the future bride, the future groom in his absence. I just want to share a word, and it's on marriage. A sacrament is an act instituted by God for us to observe so that we the people can receive divine strength. Tell me what you think about your baby, the pictures. I have ultrasound pictures of Gerald's baby. It's a girl. Gerald's gonna have a little girl. Guys, does she look who she look like to you? People say that she she look like me by the nose and the lips. She sure do. She's big. You can see her head, her nose, and her lip, and she looks like she got fat cheeks. How you feel about having a baby girl on the way? It feels it feel okay. I have to say I'm kind of excited. I'm not, I'm not so depressed like I used to be when I thought about Gerald being a father. I guess when you, babies, when you see the babies, it makes it all right. So what are you going to do? How are you going to be a father? What type of father are you going to be? A good father. What What is your definition of a good father? To be there for my baby. Like a father should do. What should a father do? You tell me. What should a father do? I don't know. I like them. Like the fathers on TV, I guess. I don't know yet. I told Gerald when we get some extra money, I'm going to take him shopping and get things so, you know, he can feel good about himself. And because he kind of lost it the other day. It kind of scared me, too, the way he was crying. Because he's no longer in the STEP program. He's in regular classes because his grade point average, was, his test scores were so high. And he says the classes are too hard. 
They're too hard. I can't do it. I got a baby on the way. I don't know. I think I'm a dummy. And he was just going on and on and just scaring the hell out of me. Are you scared? I don't know. I really, I still like that kind of ready though. But I let him know that everybody goes through that and he's going to make it. All he had to do is study harder and don't give up. And I know he's going to turn out, you know, be a good father. When you look at those pictures, what do you think? I can't wait. That's what I think. I can't wait till the baby come. And I told him, I got your back, you know. I'm going to do what I can. Don't worry, Mama got your back. That story was recorded by Barbara Clinkscales and was produced by Elise Spiegel with funding from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Gerald is currently speaking with Keisha's family again. They're sitting here in the studio with me. As I say these words, she looks great. Her babies do the first week of the new millennium. Special thanks today to Barbara's family, to Gerald especially, and Tess, and to Keisha and her family. To the LBJ Library, thanks. To the Vanderbilt TV and News Archives, also thanks. Shout out to the Hens, especially to Tiny. If you'd like to buy a cassette of this program, call us here at WBEZ in Chicago, 312-832-3380. Or listen for free at our website, www.thislife.org. This American Life is distributed by Public Radio International. Funding for our program has been provided by Amazon.com. The books and music that you hear on This American Life are available at Amazon.com. There are 4.7 million video, CD, and book titles online at www.amazon.com. Other funding comes from the Capital Group Companies, investing for individuals and institutions throughout the world, and sponsor of the American Funds Group of Mutual Funds, from the Ford Foundation, a resource for innovative people and institutions worldwide, and from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Endowment for the Arts and the listeners of WBEZ Chicago. WBEZ Management Oversight by Tori Malatia, who makes this sound at the end of every show. <laughs> I'm Ira Glass, back next week with more stories of this American life. Public Radio International.